Welcome and welcome once again to another instalment of Witch Car Weekly that is becoming the new normal in the video format. It is uh, customary for me to welcome our guests, which are the regulars you'll all know and love, Andy Enright, um, Deputy Editor of Wheels Magazine and Associate Editor of Motor Magazine, Scott Newman. Did you forget my name? How is my lighting, gentlemen? I've tried extra hard this week to appear... Um, uh, as close to my natural likeness as possible. Is it working? Is it you look complimentary? Or... Oh, good. Radiant was exactly what I was going for. Yeah, you can hardly see the Botox at all. Oh, well, if I, if I <laughs> did profile, I'd look like some kind of um, floaty pool toy. So I won't do that. I'll just do the, the full frontal. Okay. Do you, do you have some sort of a beauty filter going on there? Uh, yes, it's called uh, Leading a Good Lifestyle and Eating Healthy and Going to Bed Early. That's my filter. What's yours? <laughs> Give up. Mine's called The Ravages of, uh, the ravages of Stress. Yeah, exactly. Well, no stress working from home. It's been working very nicely for me, as I hope it has been for you, gentlemen, and all our dear listeners slash viewers. Um, it is just the three of us this week. We've been enjoying some guests lately, but uh, back to back to basics for this one. Uh, we've got a we've got a couple. Of, we're returning to our regular format of um, of just talking about the things that we've experienced in our motoring lives. And one of those things is part of it's part of the course. Being a motor journalist is going on road tests and going on launches, and they normally go very well indeed, a vast majority of the time. But as uh, Murphy's law dictates. If something can go wrong, then it, it will. And from time to time on launches, it does. Now, we've decided, I don't know what each of my fellow presenters is going to talk about. We've decided to weigh in this week talking about the things that didn't go entirely to plan on a road test or on a launch. I actually don't have many to weigh in. Perhaps I'm luckier than most. Perhaps I haven't done as much work as everyone else. But I know for sure that both Andy and Scott will have some particularly great tales and anecdotes <laughs> on this one. So gentlemen, we would like to open the bidding for launches and road tests that haven't gone to plan. I'm I think I'll, I, no, I think I'll open the oh, bidding Scotty. because whatever I have to say will be, will pale into insignificance after Andy has had a go, I'm sure. <laughs> so I want to get in first. <laughs> so my stories seem okay before Andy mentions the time he, Blew up the Nurburgring oh. in an Alpha One Four Seven. Exactly. Um, the reason this sort of came up is quite sadly, I have a very recent story. Uh, in that I got my hands on the Porsche Cayman GT Four, which Andy has also sampled. Um, went out. That was the yeah, last shoot we did. Actually, you're not allowed to talk about it. You know, it has to. You know, you don't want to be in contempt or anything. That one. Yep, that's all right. Uh, yeah, we can talk about this. Um, but. Sadly, during my road test, which was the last road test I did before we sort of ceased testing for the time being, and I sort of maybe it was a sign that we shouldn't have been doing what we were doing, you know, should have been staying at home and being careful, but uh, sadly a stick went through the radiator and it kind of curtailed Ooh. the um, kind of curtailed the road test somewhat. Thankfully, I'd already had a decent, quite a decent knit in the car. The car itself was fine, as far as I'm aware. It had a couple of little, you know, little scuff where it had gone through the but it had bounced off the front splitter and then gone through the wire mesh and then embedded itself in the radiator, which is how I knew it was a stick. Um, so that was very sad. But thankfully, the car was okay. Um, well, other than having a hole in its radiator. Yeah, but, you know, it, it was obviously just happened, so all good. You know, I'm sure it needed a new radiator, sadly. Um, the one thing I wanted to mention was, is it almost, I almost feel more guilty when it's sort of not my fault 
in that sense. And if it was my fault, like if you're doing something silly, you'd go, oh, well, if I hadn't done that stupid thing, then everything would have been okay. Whereas a freak accident like that, you're kind of like, well, I kind of feel really bad for the PR or the people who asked to fix the car because it was a fluke accident. Maybe that's the wrong way to look at it. But um, other ones was said... No, I won't put it that way. Because oh, I'm okay, stupid all the time. I don't like having to admit to it. So if it's something I can genuinely hold my hands up and say, no, nah, it wasn't my fault. That's the way I prefer it, Scott. Because we're very okay. different operators when it comes yeah, to that. Clearly. Um, the other thing was uh, a couple of others. It usually seems to be engine things, which um, I don't know what that says. But uh, a Ventador Roadster sadly failed to proceed while I was driving it. Um, I must be cursed because Dylan Campbell drove it like all morning. The Dylan Campbell. Because he was writing the review, and then we're about to take it back. I'm like, editor of okay. Motor Magazine. Editor of Motor Magazine, yes. Um, I thought I'll just have a quick drive in it to say, you know, to say I've driven it and get a quick taste. No sooner, like five minutes after I'd set off, it just started losing cylinders, and then within the case of thirty seconds, it just sort of conked out, and all the warning lights went. And then whenever you tried to start it, it just went. Oh god. Um. So that was the end of that. And very hard to get an Aventador on the back of a tow truck too, because it doesn't really have a front tow point. So that was, uh, that was fun. Uh, and, and then what did, the, what did the problem end up being? Uh, no idea. They wouldn't tell us. Well, they didn't tell us. So um, I don't know. It was a brand new car too. It had like 800 So... Um, the other one was the Megane Trophy R. That also, we took that out for a test one day and I think it must have been like a turbo gasket or something or a exhaust cylinder gasket or something because it just lost all its boost and started going whenever you tried to drive it. So, uh, again, a tow truck was dispatched to uh, the beautiful Ilden and a two-car test turned into a one-car test. Oh. Oh, oh dear. dear! Oh dear! I, I I don't know where to start with this, guys. Um, there are a lot that have gone wrong. Um, I can think of a Jaguar X type launch. They launched in the snow. That the snow track just turned into like a, a assault course and demolished all the cars. <laughs> Went on an Alpha One Four Seven launch in Sicily, where there were um, landslides that cut off the roads and people were stranded in the middle of nowhere. Um, Audi TT Roadster launch, they were in the Mediterranean. They um, couldn't get the boat booked, so they did it at Goodwood. They sent a guy up the hill first, a racer, to set a reference time, and he scorched out of the thing and then just slowed right down at the top. So all the journalists obviously thought, well, we can clearly ignore that time and just go as fast as we can. Um, and a surprising percentage of them didn't negotiate the first bend and just went into oh, the race. Really? <laughs> yeah, that, that wasn't a good like launch. Um, badly? Like damage? Yeah, yeah, they were written off. Um, <laughs> but uh, how many? I, I'm, I'm gonna like two? yeah, I'm gonna take five. Nah, probably about four. Um, it it, it oh, didn't end instantly. That one still not great odds, though, is it? No, no. I'm I'm gonna take you back to October the first, nineteen ninety seven. Okay, this is my very first press gig. Um, it was run by Bill Thomas who used to be the editor of Wheels Magazine, lovely bloke. Um, he took me under his wing at this new magazine and he said, Andy, to this impressionable 20-something, 
we're going to um, have a race across the UK um, <laughs> from, from uh, somewhere in oh, Norfolk, Lowestoft, over to Wales, like the width of the UK. And we all drew straws to see which cars we'd get. And there were things like Kia Prides, and there was an Audi A8, and there was a Dodge Viper GTS. And there was also the brand new Nissan Skyline GTR R33. Yeah. First time this car had ever been imported to the UK. And that was the straw that I drew. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> having no oh, experience no. Oh, of a car this quick, um, I set off across the UK with, with uh, my colleague at a, at a prodigious rate, it has to be said. Um, and it, as you can imagine, it didn't end well for me. It actually ended about sort of 12 miles out of Aberystwyth. Well, I, I was pretty sure that I was winning. Uh, and I was coming down this, this road in the middle of the night. And you, you know, on these journeys where you're driving a quick car, you just progressively get quicker and quicker and quicker. <laughs> yeah. and, it creeps, and it creeps up on you, doesn't it? The speed. And I, I, this creeping of speed manifested itself of me driving it into a hairpin at about 90 miles an hour. <laughs> oh, God. I like how you say driving this, into the hairpin because you presumably didn't drive yeah. out of the hairpin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> The hairpin just kept going. It was one of those ones that sort of warped back on itself. It was more than 180 degrees. And I thought I had it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, giving it a dab of waffle and all that. Looking a dab of waffle. <laughs> suitably, suitably heroic. Um, and, until that moment when uh, it goes into the Armco barrier. Then you're looking marginally less clever. <laughs> and uh, we were listening to this Manchester United versus Juventus game at the time. And I reviewed the video afterwards. And... Um, you just hear this tortured wailing of tires, like going interminably, like, and then it hits the armco, and you hear it clap off the armco and spin, and then there's just silence. And, oh, uh, and, you, and, you, just, and you just hear the commentator go, and Beckham takes it on the chest. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was my memory of it. Um, we got rescued by a guy in a beer dray. Um, I was standing in all the oil that had fallen out of the oil cooler at the front of the car. And then I climbed into his beer dray, whereupon he sat in the oil. Um, he had this big footprint on his ass, um, which I didn't. Which in the moment um, where courage did leave me, I, I didn't inform him of that fact. Um, what did BT say? He, uh, he, he, he wasn't overly thrilled. Um, I, remember, I, I compounded the problem by um, turning up. I, I managed to put my foot into the, an empty flagpole in Aberystwyth Town Square and tore all the tendons <laughs> in my ankle. So I arrived in the hotel with no car, hobbling, um, and had to be taken to hospital. Oh, so uh, obviously so, in, the, in the age before mobile phones, Bill presumably yeah. didn't know until you rocked no, up in no. car. He, he, was, he was sitting there with his, uh, with his champagne on, like convinced that he'd won fair and square. And then came this awful tale of woe. And, um, to, make, to add insult to injury, one of the guys there was a stand-up comedian. And I, I had to sit with these guys for like two days whilst the rest of the feature eventuated. And th this guy was just merciless. He would just, whenever there was a lull in the conversation, he'd just look over to me and he'd go, I bet you feel like a real... All <laughs> 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 you can do is just, yeah. I do but, have, um, I do have a, um, a couple more, actually, that are me personally so um thankfully thankfully i've never damaged a car like an andy style i oh, touch wood touch every bit of wood that there is 
Um, I haven't yeah. done one this century, and I hasten to add. Oh, that's good. That's good. Um, we're at a BMW launch. Oh, Dan's gone. See you, Dan. Um, I brought some for you. you can touch oh, that. good. Thank you. Touch that. Um, Great. <laughs> BMW launcher came over a crest and found a uh, BMW 1 Series inverted in a ditch. Oh. Um, that wasn't was good. in Tasmania? That was in Tasmania, yes. Um, mm. And that was... There is always a humorous, like there is always a humorous side. Um, and while getting, you know, people came along because we tend to go in convoy and so people stopped and were extracting the occupants when uh, this poor little lady in the BMW, you know, emergency assist that automatically, automatically calls triple zero when it inverts. The poor thing wasn't really sure what was going on because it was talking to about 15 different people <laughs> trying to figure out why a there was like a whole bunch of people and a whole bunch of BMWs and one of them was upside down and others weren't and everything. Um, the other good one was uh, well not good one but uh, performance car of the year. I was an assistant on a few years ago, almost ten years ago now, and going to turn one at Eastern Creek or Sydney Motorsport Park as it's now called. Big plume of smoke out of the back of the RS250 and it dropped all of its oil all over the uh, racing line. Um, that was bad enough as it got towed off, but then they put down the, you know, the concrete dust and everything uh, to soak up the oil as they do. No big problem, a small delay. But then another judge came in in the E63. Sadly, didn't quite wipe enough enough speed for concrete dust and then proceeded to have the almost almighty tank slapper that proceeded pretty much all the way down to turn two at which point they were out of sight, <laughs> but all you could see was this enormous plume of dust that went into the air, at which point we had no idea what was happening. You know, a quarter of a million dollar car that's just seen, seen going. <laughs> then it came back eventually into the pits, covered in dust, head to toe. Judge got out and we were like, whoa, was that okay? He's like, oh, yeah, that was a really big one. Yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty unflappable chap that was. I won't say who he was, although the same person was both people, um, responsible for both incidents. So... He shall remain nameless for now, but um, yeah. Come on, Dan, you must have one or two. I think that's probably bad. He, can, he can't be killed. Um, there, there is another one. Uh, I, I don't know if I've uh, ever regaled you with this story, but um, I wasn't actually driving. I was in the follow car. I was in the chase car in this instance, and um, we had the very first prototype of the aerial atom, and uh, something failed on the vehicle, and it left the road. And uh, it hit a bank. And I, I remember watching it soaring majestically through the air as it had hit this mud bank. And just this whole cloud of atomized dirt flew up. Atomized um, dirt. Very good, Andy. Very yeah. good. And um, it, it, its progress <laughs> through, through the air was kind of rudely interrupted by a, a telegraph pole, um, which it hit at a height of about two meters and then came back oh. into the road spinning. Um, so it wasn't looking too clever, this thing. I managed to avoid hitting it. It's a thorough uh, test. Yeah, yeah. I was in a Hyundai Coupe. Um, so we weren't going that fast. Um, but uh, yeah, old, old mate, again, it was that instance where you go, you go out with two cars and you both return in one. And uh, <laughs> the, the poor fella, uh, he, he went very grey. Um, I'm happy to see that uh, he's had success since with the with the atom um best of luck to him but uh yeah that wasn't that wasn't his favorite a day, rough start. I, can, 
definitely say that. Yeah, the, the local police, I think, I think they were a bit fed up with him because um, he was based down in Crewcan, down your neck of the woods, Somerset, Dan. Well, very much. That's right. Uh, <laughs> I remember it well. That's right. Um, and uh, the local police, I, I, I think they hadn't really taken kindly to him testing this vehicle on the local <laughs> roads. So we, when we reported the accident, we turned up in there and uh, said, oh, yeah, well, there's, a, there's an aerial atom in about sort of 900 pieces on the road up there. And the, the desk sergeant just burst burst out laughing because it was like all his, Christ, all his Christmases has come at once. Maybe they undid that offending part. Yeah, yeah. He said, he's, I just remember what he said to me. He just looked up at me after he'd stopped laughing and he said, old chummy boy's not going to like that much. <laughs> <laughs> so Simon Saunders, boss of Ariel, talented guy, but I just... Yeah, I think of him as Chummy Boy now. Um, thousand, <laughs> thousand apologies, Simon. It wasn't my fault, but I was there. Yeah. Um, I do have a couple. The best, the best road test slash launch going wrong or awry or not to plan. I've actually already told that story once on a Witch Car Weekly podcast previously. Um, if you want to know, uh, if you want to listen to that horror story of how I nearly lost the BMW X3 to the Indian Ocean. Uh, listen into number 23. That's where you'll find it. But I have a couple of other um, contributions to this. They're nowhere near as spectacular as Andy's. But um, one of the ones which stands out was also in an Italian car. Oh, dear. There's a theme developing. And it was also at Eastern Creek um, slash Sydney Motorsport Park. Uh, it was the first Australian drive of the Alfa Romeo Giulia QV. So a car that was <laughs> profoundly important to Alfa Romeo because they were at a point where their their cars hadn't been particularly well received. They were still plagued by these stories of unreliability and um, problems. Um, we'd been given all of these promises about the uh, uh, Giorgio platform and how it was going to solve everything. It was going to be a wonderful driver's car and it was going to be reliable and this was going to end the, it's going to reverse the fortunes for Alfa Romeo and people were finally going to understand it was a car that could compete with the three series and, and the QV, particularly with the M3. So we had these cars, it was only a handful and we were out doing um, laps of Eastern Creek and uh, I came around the final turn at Eastern Creek, which is quite a long, it's quite a sort of continuous goes on forever kind of left and as I came through that I got an engine light up and it went into limp home mode and it was the second time this had happened to the to, to two different cars on the same day and I radioed it in because obviously I was limping behind the pace car and you could just hear this voice on the other, other end of the radio what did you do <laughs> don't put this on me exactly what did I do I just drove the car around it's two in one piece and it's brought up an engine light anyway had to hand the car back and this was the story i was told later okay the explanation and all is all i have to go on i was told nothing more was that the car had had a low fuel level now i don't know quarter of a tank as i remember it was not particularly low and no. i was told that in that last corner which goes on for a long long time the fuel has surged the pumps not just picked up a bit of air and that's put it into limp home mode now this is a car that had to perform 100%, not miss a beat, um, all around the world. And it's been tested extensively. You mean to tell me they haven't put it through a few corners somewhere in the world and it's done this before? 
I absolutely refuse to believe it. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sorry, I want to believe, I want to believe like Mulder, that, um, you know, that Alfa may have solved its reliability issues, but on that day, I was not convinced. I, I, I can't believe that they didn't test the Julia QV, that it wouldn't be written off by vomiting into it. As an unnamed colleague managed to, uh, yes. managed to achieve. But uh, actually, sorry, just to finish before we... I forgot my probably my most important story. You reminded me uh, coming out of the last corner at Eastern Creek. Um, but before that, not that I wish to, you know, say that the good people of Alfa Romeo weren't telling the truth regarding the fuel, but we did borrow one for a track test at Winton and it's diff did stop working. Um, thankfully, you just turned it off and then started it again and it started working again, which was good. But yeah, it, it was doing the world's most impressive single wheel burnouts there for a while coming out of every corner with 600 newton meters and no LSD. Um, but world time attack, uh, 2014, I think it was, I went up there to drive a car, a tuna car. It was a supercharged and turbocharged Toyota 86. You might be able to see where this is going. Could possibly oh, go brilliant. Um, it was a very, tricky thing to drive it was it pumped out enormous amounts of heat but anyway just driving it around driving it pretty quickly because i was there to drive it and whatever but um privately owned car all that thing sort of thing coming out of the last turn lots of expensive metal metallic noises and lots of smoke at the back uh engine blue um, cruised it back down to pit lane good good place to happen in one sense i just cruised it down pit lane and parked it um of course, then I had to walk down the length of pit lane to the operator's stand at the other end of the pits and explain why I was not returning in his car and not only had, you know, I didn't have a flat tire or anything, it probably needed a new engine, which it did need a new engine. So, but happy story. I drove that car again later when it had a new engine and a, just a single turbo setup. And it was really good. So. And you hadn't had to have paid any of the bills to get it back into Well, that also helped, yes. Yeah. Um, sounds expensive let's move on gentlemen we uh we have another uh, subject to cover and discuss um and it is through our many many years combined testing cars um we're we live in a fortunate time where car makers generally get it right a lot of the time but still there are the exceptional moments and models and we've all agreed that we've had cars we've driven that we really think are bad enough to fade into obscurity and should have never existed in the first place. These are the cars that we think don't, didn't need to happen. They should have been the stillborn ones that never made it to production. I don't have a very long list because as I say, I think there are, there are things to be liked about nearly every car on the market, but there are a handful where I'm sorry I struggle. And I'm going to kick off here, guys. And I'm going to say it's a Chinese SUV, lo and behold. Who would have thought? Is that the name of I it, do lo and behold? They're coming from Havel, but I do not like the H2 in any shape or form. And I shall explain why. It's like the development process of the H2 didn't involve any test driving at all and simply involved a bunch of people sitting in a room checking boxes. And the process went something like this. If you press the pedal on the right, does the car go faster? And everyone answered yes. And they checked the box. Then they said, if you press the, the, the other pedal, 
will it slow down? Everyone said yes, and they moved on. And that's the process they went through. Basic functions happening as they should, but without any kind of development or, or um, refinement whatsoever. And that's the experience you have when you drive this car. It, it doesn't make you go faster when you press it, but it's like the throttle position sensor has been adjusted so that when you just come off idle, it goes to maximum throttle. And the brakes <laughs> absolutely... Modulation whatsoever. The steering is connected to the front wheels by numerous reduction boxes and removes all kind of feel. But the worst thing about it is you get into it with quite high hopes because it looks quite nice. And then the interior is kind of well done and the quality is quite good and the finish is excellent. And, and so it lulls you into this sort of sense that everything else is going to continue on as good until you get to the drive. And then it's the most disappointing car I have driven in many, many years. Oh Ooh, I, I, I don't, um, if I was going to say the worst car I've driven, um, that's a tough one. Um, I think of a gentleman called Donato Coco and, um, he designed probably for me, one of the most beautiful cars in recent history, the Ferrari 458. But, um, he was clearly having, um, not such a happy spell in his life when he designed the Citroen C3 Plurial, Ooh. which I don't know, I don't know if many of those came to Australia. Not, not a lot, but, no, but there are, they are. Uh, it, 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 2003 to 2010, I think, and it's a truly horrendous car. Um, Five it's cars in one, Andy. Yeah, convertible version of the Citroen C3 hatch. Um, and to turn it into a convertible, you have to take out these big glossy tusk things that form the roof rails. And um, <laughs> they sit in a hammock. There's a specially designed hammock that you can sit in your garage. So if you go out in your convertible car and it starts raining, there's no way to put the roof back up. No. Um, the, the fundamentals of this car were terrible to begin with. Um, and to make it into the plural, they just demolished any residual glimmer of competence. Um, and uh, so it was this wobbly, floppy thing with a gutless engine, and uh, it was the most useless convertible. And they, they tried to sell it as well, that, that it was, if you folded the rear seats down and, and dropped the hatch down at the back, that it was a pickup as well. But yeah. in no market what was it, it was, was illegal. A, a the cabrio, number, a the target, number plate was a on. Hatch, <laughs> a ute. Yeah. And there was a fifth or something. I can't remember what it was, but yeah, it was a, it was a thing. There were, it was five yeah. cars, all of them terrible. Yeah, the number plate was on that rear panel that you fold down to make it a U. So <laughs> it's in no way a road legal U. <laughs> but yeah, that, that was complete junk. Um, over to you, Scotty. Uh, for me, the worst car I've driven, um, I'm, you know, in a fortunate sense, because like you say, there's not, there's, there's some, you know, mediocre cars, but there's very few bad cars, especially when you get in the performance sector because they tend to have more time spent on them, more money spent on them blah, 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 blah. They're not just rushing them out the door. The exception is the Infiniti Q50 Red Sport. That is a terrible car. Um, I don't know. I've said this before. I'll probably get another email from an angry person at Nissan. But um, it, was, it was a bit like your Aval H2, Dan. It's clearly like they said, we need to make a sports sedan. Adaptive dampers, tick. LSD, tick. Um, Brembo brakes, tick. Uh, I think it's got um, four, uh, 300 kilowatts, tick. But no one drove it at any point. It had both, it somehow managed to understeer and oversteer at the same time. Um, the ESP was horrendous. 
Um, the steering was woeful. It had no body control. Its brakes failed after one lap of a racetrack. That, and they then said that that's atypical use. It's like, oh, what, like five hard stops in a row is atypical use for a performance car. Um, the gearbox was crap. Uh, looked good. Looks good. Had a lot of power Looks for the money. But was abysmal in every way. Um, and because I've said that before, I'll go with the Nissan Pulsar Triple S, which had a really good engine. It had this kind of the same engine as the Clio RS, Clio RS, but it had it felt much sort of peppier and more responsive. It sounded horrific though. It sounded like it was dying every time you revved it. Um, <laughs> and the rest of the package was just had awful tiny skinny narrow tires. The body roll on it was comical. It was the easiest car to get an exciting cornering shot out of it because you just go like that and the thing just about fell over. Brakes were terrible. Uh, the inside of it was like a toddler's toy. It was so cheap and nasty. Um, that was a terrible car as well. Um, I have another that I'd like to contribute. And <clears throat> I'm not saying this is necessarily the worst car I've ever driven. Um, but it was in many ways one of the most disappointing and uh, it's a topical one uh, because as of just today we heard that the Alfa Romeo, sorry, another one, uh, Giulietta this time is to be discontinued um, without a clear or obvious replacement. I actually really like the car in it, all of its um, iterations and, and variants. Um, including the QV, which I still think is a fantastic car to this day. <clears throat> Manual only, fantastic engine. <clears throat> However, the variant in question, which I found deeply disappointing and was so opposite to all of its others, was the diesel. Now, the diesel <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Oh, so actually quite a good engine that suffered a little bit from lag. <clears throat> but the problem was is it was coupled only to a dual clutch transmission. But it's the slowest dual clutch I have ever experienced which also had its own inherent lag, <clears throat> combined with a laggy engine, what would happen when you needed to accelerate somewhere is you would press the accelerator. What then happened was <clears throat> the accelerator would write an email that's, that sends that to the engine in which a small hamster then starts to run around in a wheel. That turns the turbo, during which time the transmission at some point has to get an email as well to wake up, starts slipping about 14 different clutches, you eventually get some kind of movement, and by which stage you have to then stop again, because the traffic has, has stopped in front of you again. <laughs> and the whole process was utterly maddening. And when you compare it with all of its other siblings that were really good, it just was so profoundly disappointing, and, and I hated that thing. And now it's uh -huh. going to die. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you. I, um, most of the cars that we, we drive are really, really good cars, and it, and it feels mean to sort of pick things out as being crap, um, apart from the Citroen C3 Ferrari. Uh, but disappointing. Um, I must say I was disappointed by the Falcon Sprint XR8. Um, just too much engine, not enough chassis. Um, I just found that a bit, oh, lock your doors, a bit, Andy. A bit crude. Funny you should say that. Before, but, um, oh, that was sort of on my list as well. The FPV GT again, not because it was necessarily a bad car. It did quite. It did what it needed to do quite well. But it was one of the first new cars I drove. Like as a as a journalist, actually before I was a journalist. But anyway, um, so I'd had ten years of reading Australian car magazines, on which every single cover was a V8 Commodore or a V8 Falcon and they're kind of the pinnacle cars. And then I drove it and I was like, Oh, is this it? So again, not necessarily 
having not the context of driving other things or some of its competitors, yeah, you, you sort of thought yeah. it would be the be-all and end-all and it kind of wasn't. Another really, really disappointing thing for me is from a company that should know better, um, Mercedes. Um, I don't know if either of you guys have ever driven the SLK 32 AMG with the um, M112 engine, supercharged V6 3.2, I believe. That's great. Right. Yeah, it sounds it sounds really great. Load of grunt, um, the new speed shift five G Tronic gearbox. But everything about that car was bad. Um, the steering, the handling was lame. It didn't want to turn in. The brakes were crap. The interior was that Malaysia era Benz thing going on yeah. with the shonky plastics. We had one at uh, Bedford Autodrome, and uh, I put it through a chicane, and uh, it had the biggest brain fart of any car I've ever experienced uh, just, just through going down the road kind of thing. And it, it just started, started to uh, lower the roof. We were going at about, <laughs> probably about 100, 140 kilometers an hour at this point. It's a very, very, very high speed flick flack over curbs. Um, and uh, yeah, started lowering the roof and then the ESP got into an almighty um, kerfuffle and it, it, it locked the two left-hand wheels somehow. I've never experienced this any other car before. So we were going straight. We, we had exited any semblance of a corner and then it just went into this massive spin <laughs> and then kept and then straightened itself up and kept going down the track. And, and we just kind of looked at each other and thought, what happened there? Um, we parked like the car. And, uh, yeah. It would have made you look like a complete... <laughs> Yeah, we just parked it, gave it half an hour, and it was all right after that. But it's a, it's a really disappointing car. And I'm, yeah, I don't, I don't know if they ever built a decent hot SLK. It's satisfying. No, I was thinking the same Satisfying thing. one to drive. Um, mm. My final one is actually a Mercedes as well. It's the G63. Um, oh. I mean, oh. such a cool car. Sounds amazing. Looks great. Very popular. People love them but my God, do they drive horrendously. I mean, they drive like what they are. It's a twin, twin live axle, ladder chassis, four-wheel drive, which is fine if you're buying like the, the I think they're very capable, of, they're brilliantly capable off-road. If you buy the diesel or something like that, that's fine. But when you put a 550 horsepower twin turbo V8 in it, I just remember there's that big, uh, if you're in Melbourne, there's that big... Um, under the Balti, you go off the highway, off the freeway, and then oh, onto yeah. the Balti. And I was only doing, I think, 80, maybe, you know, which is the speed limit. So, but it's usually, you could, it's a corner, it used to be 100 through there, and you could easily do it 100 in most parts. I think it was only 80. And as soon as it started to tip, the ESP just went nah, which is sensible because, it's, you know, it's not okay yeah. to ever wanted to corner in. Um, I am quite looking forward to at some point, hopefully, driving the new one, though, because apparently the new G63 is really, really good. Um, yeah, I haven't, any I haven't driven so, that new one. No. Um, so it yeah. still looks great, still sounds great, but now it actually works as a car. So the old one was was great fun, sort of up to about five or six tenths, <laughs> and thereafter it was terrifying. It was, yeah, it was just basically a big really brick hard. for blasting away from traffic lights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that could get very scary very quickly. That thing. Oh well, we're running out of material, guys. Because you know, as, as car makers continue to develop cars and make them better, you know, we we actually are probably going to have to be calling on the ones that we have driven in the past rather than the ones that we're driving currently. We'll just raise uh, our yeah. standards. 
Perhaps, but I mean, realistically, I mean, I'm not going to do that anytime soon. Anything less than 10 out of 10 is a piece of garbage. <laughs> great opportunity and great moment then to go from the cars that shouldn't ever have existed to the ones that we think should but didn't. So, guys, this is the way we round out today's episode is let's talk about the cars that should have been and would have been great. Um, we are probably the wrong people to comment on this because, of course, we are idiots and just want cars that are ridiculously, fantastically fast and Speak manual. for yourself, um, thank you. And he doesn't like manuals anymore. Um, I, I, I like some. I like the right manual. Yeah. So we have, I've got, actually got quite a good long list of, uh, because I am stupid and not a car designer. So, of course, all of these ideas are completely unfeasible. But uh, let's, let's kick it off then, guys. Cars that we think should exist and never did or um, should exist at some point in the future. What have we got? Okay, well, I can start because uh, Motor actually did this for a while. For a few years, we did a thing called Sweet Dream. And you can find them all online. Just Google which car, Sweet Dream. And we basically think up a car that we thought should exist and get our designer to comgen what it should look like. And we tried to keep these relatively sensible, you know, not making like a rocket powered Ferrari or anything like that. So could this be a car that would find a buyer and be offered at something sensible? Um, Did any of them get built? Uh, funnily enough, if you, yes, sort of. Um, if oh. you go to our witch car for an FPV Mustang, it's basically exactly the same spec as a Mustang R-Spec. And then if you go, oh. we actually called the Alfa Romeo Giulia GTA. We, got, we said that uh, a couple of years ago and then it came out at Geneva and it was so freaky. Like the weight reduction and the numbers built are exactly the same as what we proposed. So anyway, pure fluke. Yeah. Um, I'm going to spend out a couple of my favourites. The one actually maybe is a bit left field is Honda CRX. The Honda CRZ was a really cool little car, I thought. It handled brilliantly, had a great little manual gearbox. Trouble is, it was weighed down by the batteries and it didn't have that much power to begin with. It just, it was hybrid in its infancy and it didn't really work. So if you had to put like a 1.8 litre VTEC in it, like a big, slightly bigger engine, taken, you know, 150 kilos of the batteries out or whatever, that would have been an absolutely fantastic little car for probably, you know, 30 odd grand. So much of it was already right. The engine, the gearbox, the handling, it just needed a little bit less weight and a little less cost. So that's my opening bid. Lovely. Okay. Um, I love that idea because that, that was a great little car and was unusual and it was a manual hybrid, which I thought yes. was really, I don't know whether there's been another one since then. Um, fantastic thing. Yes, we need a new CRX. I totally agree. That would be a lovely one. My suggestion, top of the list, is um, a Toyota. Stop trying to look at my list. That's what you're doing. You're just going like this. Trying to look at my list. Um, Toyota CHR Gazoo or GR Ooh. racing, whatever you want. Okay, so the little, the compact SUV from Toyota that currently um, has a choice of 1.2 litre turbo, uh, which is way too small, makes about 80 kilowatts, which is non-existent, or you can get a 1.8 litre hybrid. Okay, so here's my plan. What you do is you get rid of all the batteries, um, you get rid of all that stupid Atkins cycle bollocks on the 1.8 hybrid, and you bolt on a turbo. You suddenly got 1.8 litre turbocharged um, it's compact uh, Toyota SUV that will go like stink. And Can it will I be a proper good Daniel? Surely uh, an easier way, not that that is not an idea without merit, but surely it is easier just to take the CHR body and put it on the Yaris Gazoo Racing. 
and then you've got all-wheel drive system and that <laughs> 1.6-litre three-cylinder are ready to go. I don't mind how we arrive at the result as long we as just it want happens. a fast CHR. Yes. Andy. Um, there, there were a few cars of, of the past that I would have really liked to have seen. Um, BMW made that one-off E46 M3 wagon, which just looked stunning. And um, an E92 Ute. Yeah, yeah. Um, but something that I, I, I kind of think, it might have been a bit niche appeal, but I'd have a sort of sleeper version of um, Focus RS. Um, I'm, you know, I, I'm not 20 anymore. And driving around in a bright green thing with spoilers hanging off it and all that sort of stuff, I'm not not that into. Um, I, I like, I don't, yeah, I'd like to have seen them just, you know, reprise that idea that they had with the old G6Es that they did instead of the XR8s and stuff. A Focus RS Touring um, in the GT3. Yeah, yeah, because that that's the vibe that Honda have done with that low key Civic yes. Type R that they offer in 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 Europe. Um, and the other one that I can't quite understand. Uh, why they didn't build this car? I think it's because they bottled it. Was the Commodore VXR two litre T all wheel drive? Yeah. Um, Hold on. I, I think they, I think they were just so convinced that Australians wanted a multi cylinder big engine in the in the Commodore and said, "What should we do? Put this lame three point six into it." Um, you know, a, two, a proper two litre T, lightweight in the nose. Um, with a lot of grunt would have been a really, really good thing. It would have been basically a bigger, um, it would have been a bigger Golf R, really. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing, uh, I've, I've always liked the concept of old supercars, but I hate the way they drive. Um, so I would love to see someone um, like Ferrari Classic or Lamborghini just offer to people, you know, you can, you can have your F430 in a 288 GTO body, or you can have your uh, Gallardo like uh, Superleggero Super in, a, in, in a Countach body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so you, you yeah. get yeah, you get a modern driving car with, with the classic look. I think that'd be so cool. They'll never That's do right. it, but no. I wish they would, yeah. Um, another one I always thought, well, another one we did that I quite liked was the BMW M8. So basically, take an i8, not the M8 that they actually did. You're like, that car already exists, Scott, no. Um, BMW i8, keep the hybrid stuff in it, but throw the throw the three cylinder out uh, and put the 4.4 liter twin turbo V8, but take the turbos off. So just, you know, it'd have whatever, 320 kilowatts or something, I suppose, an Atmo V8, add another 50 kilowatts of electric on top or something. Because I love the i8, I love the way it drove, I love the way it looked. Just whenever you drove it, that soundtrack didn't quite work and it probably wasn't quite quite fast enough for what it costs and what it sort of needed to be. So that was my solution for that. I, nice I, just can't, I just can't get over that whole thing where you look at an i8 from the back and it looks like it's trying to poop the <laughs> 11 out. Yeah. <laughs> Once you see it, you can't unsee know, that. It's horrendous. <laughs> so true. So true. Right, okay. Here's how we could have saved the Mercedes X-Class make an AMG version. It's the question yeah. we always ask whenever we were on a launch with Mercedes, are you going to put a V8 or something under the bonnet of the X-Class? 
They always said no, and I think that's the way you could have saved that car. Of course, that has been discontinued now. If you'd given Aussies a V8 version of that, it would have been the most powerful you could buy for now, and I reckon they would have sold absolutely heaps of them, even if they were $150,000. What do you reckon? Yep. Scotty, you're on you're on the record of saying that a, a powerful Raptor would be a terrible idea. Um, yeah. Do you still think that? Um, yeah, I mean, I do a, a, a in the sense... A powerful pickup like that would be... I mean... A Mustang engine one would be okay, but I think in terms of actually driving dynamics, but it's just not going to be very fast. Like, with you know, look, what's a Mustang make? 560 newton meters. That's not bad at like 5,000 RPM or something. And something that's going to weigh 2.4 tons. I don't know. Yeah. I just think, like, for me, the Raptor... The X-Class was a lot lighter, though, wasn't it? You know, yeah, I mean, but if, the, for me, the perfect engine for, like, a Raptor is, like, that, that X-Class 3-litre turbo diesel or the Amarok 580 engine. Like, in an Amarok, it's almost a bit wild, that engine, but in something that has a good chassis on it, it would be quite good. I just don't know, an Atmo petrol V8, you're going to be do 30 litres per 100k everywhere and have to floor every time you want to overtake something because all the power is way up high. So, I just... It sounds good on paper, but anything because it's fast in a way you can drive it fast people want mgs because they sound like yeah. fighter bombs world yes. war ii that's exactly why people would love it an x-class sounds the same they, you can't drive that fast anyway no matter what and particularly with victorian speed limits and the rest of australia is about the same they just want it to sound like that and i reckon right. and if you just yeah. say, when, when you just... put it like that it's, it's no more ludicrous idea than putting an amg engine in a g-wagon is it yeah it's just a yeah. it's just a g63 it's just a g63 ute then really isn't it the x63 i suppose it would be yeah absolutely and you must have another one um no no i think that's no. my list okay. uh, well, yeah let me go go for the, the focus the commodore vxr the bmw e46 century wagon and my updates of the uh, supercars okay well, i'll go one going. more then i'll go one more that we did that I liked, which was a, a VF SV6T. So basically just totally ripping off what Ford did with the Falcon in the BA. And just, because the VF chassis was good. We all, we all agree with that. Like a VF red line was yep. an enjoyable car to drive. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so the thought of like, and you know, GM has a few twin turbo V6s in its arsenal. Cadillac ATS-V. I think they did another Buick one that's a bit below that with a bit less power. So we thought, you know, would have been, just take a red line, stick a... Probably wouldn't drive much differently, but I don't know, it'd be super tunable. All the tuners would love it. So that was just an idea that we had and we thought would be pretty cool. Is that engine as tough as a Barra, though? That is the question. No, nothing's <sighs> as tough as a Barra. <laughs> Diamonds aren't as tough no. as a Barra. No, no. <laughs> All right, well, I got plenty. Sorry, you're going to have to bear with me here. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Kia Proceed GT Auto would have saved that car. <laughs> <laughs> yes. available manual, and no one bought it, and so it was discontinued. That's a shame because if it had been available as an auto, people would have bought loads of those, and that would have enabled the existence of the manual for people like us. That's one. On the flip side, what they should make is an automatic as well, because we still want to buy the manuals of that. But of course, uh, and people do, and that's selling like hotcakes in manual only form. But it, again, it does need to be a manual, an auto, there'd be a far bigger audience there. Um, on the flip side, of course, what everyone should be making is manual 
everything. So that's another of my suggestions, everything in a manual. Um, the Hyundai N-Load, or otherwise known, AKA the Drift Bus, which yeah. Scott has driven and goes to air on which car television this weekend. Tune Good in plug. on Sunday. Because um, that's another car which, of course, should be made into a production version. Yes. Uh, who doesn't want a van that can carry a minibus with a 3.3 twin turbo V6? Um, I also think they should make a BMW M5 Touring. We mentioned before uh, mm. about the E46 version of a 3 M3 Touring. They should really make a Touring of every version. Uh, but on that same theme, I was thinking, what about this? Alpina obviously BMW's most famous endorsed tuner and modifier. They seem to stick to the larger end of the SUVs. What they haven't done yet is a two series. Can you imagine an Alpina version of a two series? Ooh. It would be bloody that could be pretty nice, yeah. Yeah. They've done one. They did a crazy one, which they put in the, the M4 engine before the M, M2 competition had happened. Absolutely bonkers. Alpina, though, a little bit more exclusive. When we talk about the M3 Touring, we always talk about the Alpina B3 bi-turbo Touring, which, of course, is, you know, almost an M3 Touring. There you go. Two series, the Alpina pedal. Uh, and fine. Yep. Go again. I was going to say, on the small, just before we go fine, uh, just on the small German premiums, Audi S1 was a great car, I think, but it was, fell a little bit short. They could have done an they could have done the S1 properly to really pay homage to the famous rally car, but maybe an RS1 of, I never understood why they went to the bother of putting the Golf R engine on it and then putting a different turbo on it. Cause as far as I know, they were basically the same engine. They just put a smaller turbo on it to give it a bit more torque and a bit less power. And I get it. You know, they couldn't make it too fast for all their model hierarchy, but the only thing really wrong with that car, it had a great manual gearbox, it was small and chuckable and everything like that, but it just ran out of puff above like 5,000 RPM. If it had had a bit more pace, a bit more power, it would have been such an iconic cult car and they probably would have sold more than four. <laughs> uh, which are all now worth enormous amounts of money because they only sold four of them. Yeah. I'm going I'm to close things out, gentlemen, with one more suggestion. That is, everyone in their life needs an homage to the Subaru Brumby. Yes, we all need a Brumby. <laughs> Think about it. They've got the all-new global platform. They could do a hybrid version of it. They could do whatever body what they want, pretty much, on the platform they have now. It would be sensational, um, and everyone will want one. There we go, guys. We've just basically put the entire world to rights again. Motor journalists telling car makers and development teams that take product, five years. Product planners, our, our rates are very reasonable. Oh, we've lost Scotty. What did you say, Scotty? Do that one again? We lost you. I said, I said, rates are exorbitant. Product, uh, product planners of the world, our rates are very reasonable should you wish to get in touch. <laughs> yes, and in these trying times, we need all the work we can get. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Um, if, uh, and thank you also for listening and watching in once again. As we already said, do tune in to Witch Car on Channel 10 this weekend because you'll be able to see all manner of wonderful things, including Scott going completely sideways in one of the most ridiculous cars he's ever driven. I can speak entirely for him on that one. Um, and thank you again for bearing with us in these testing times while we try and do things a little bit different and make everything the new normal, as people say. Uh, we will be doing it all again next week, no doubt in some different form or maybe signal what we always do. Um, thank you, gentlemen. Talk to you again very soon. It's been an absolute pleasure.